We're live. Yeah. We're, we are live now. We are live. Okay. It's out in the universe. Hmm. All right. In the ozone. Well, if it's out in the universe, I better do this little disclosure thing. I'm going to see if I can do it from memory. Because mm. usually I do it like with it on my computer screen. This is where the professionals come in. Oh, you have man. it on your phone? Nope. Do you want me to play it in the background so you can hear it? Nope. Just going by the seat of my pants. You want me to I, hold I can, up cue nope, cards? Nope. You ready? I'm going to try it. All right. I'm going to give you sign language. Ready? We're, we're going to test it because I can link my phone or my <laughs> phone is linked to this. So I'll play the intro and see how good you did. All right. Well, let's see. Here we go. All right. Welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. All opinions expressed by me or guest of the podcast, especially the two that I'm talking to today, are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Life Moves Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment or financial decisions. Clients of Life Moves Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Boom. That is fantastic. Boom. I don't even know if I want to play it now. I, no, think, we just roll I, think, with that. I think we roll with it. I think that works. Yeah. Hot day. Uh, yeah. So welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. Of course, you're hearing other voices. So for the first time on the podcast, I have guests. And I'm excited about the guests today because these are two good friends of mine. They are local business owners here in uh, the Phoenix area. Uh, why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Oh, wow. This is, well, first of all, thanks for having us. My name is Jake yeah. Brown. We got Jake Maher over here as well. Hi. We have a couple different podcasts, or one different podcast and a couple different businesses. So we have the Yucky Podcast yep. that we just started, probably around the same time you started uh, your podcast, Dale. Yep. And uh, we kind of talk to local entrepreneurs and local business owners and see their grind on a day-to-day basis and uh, the struggles they go through and trying to learn off of them. Jake Maher, what do you got? That was it. Yeah, I think you covered everything. Hi. Yeah. Oh, and we also own a couple automotive uh, mechanic shops and automotive body shops. And we just started a men's soap line, cigarsoapbox.com. Check it out. Check yeah. it out for sure. Yeah. We have a lot of uh, stuff going on, so yeah, we don't even know what we're doing. Well, and, and you know, not, not to be weird, but, uh, you know, I think about you guys every morning in the shower because I'm using the soap. So I think that can be worded a little <laughs> bit differently. No, I think that was perfect. That was absolutely perfect. Recorded, post that. That's Remember the, us. That's, that's the staying, clip. That's staying in the podcast yep. right there. That's the clip. Yeah. So, um, so no, I, I, uh, the reason I wanted to have you guys on today, um, of course, is you graciously had me on as a guest as, of the Yucky podcast a couple months ago, and that was a lot of fun. Um, but I wanted to talk to the two of you because you are serialpreneurs, serial entrepreneurs. That's going on the resume. Serialpreneurs. Is that like where you just, you're diverse can't make your up your cereal? mind and just yeah. do whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So you guys, um, you've started a couple of businesses. You've got a couple more irons in the fire. Um, and so the topic that I want to cover today is around the process of starting a business and most importantly, the fears of starting a business and where people push through the fear, where people shrink back. The reason why I I like this topic is because a fair number of the people who uh, reach out to me or are referred to me and end out hiring me as their advisor, uh, they're typically coming in saying, Hey, I work for somebody else and I'm just tired of it. I want to start looking down the path of doing something on my own earning income on my own terms, being my own boss, serving people how I want to serve them, selling or, you know, doing the service that I want to do it my way. Um, And so I just, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about that, especially with the two of you, because you continue to start businesses. So tell me, you guys have been at this for a little while. 
maybe let's start with the process of the first business. So what, what was it that the two of you did together and how did that start? So originally it started, um, Jake Brown worked for a, a FedEx contractor. Um, they then jumped into the Amazon game doing a DSP delivery service provider contracting through them. I was in transition from a, uh, a job over in Fredericksburg, Virginia, wanted to come home. I was there for almost two years, um, found this opportunity through Jake. Uh, we came on board with the Amazon contractor uh, towards the end of that, before we kind of got out of the Amazon side that uh, our third business partner now, he actually brought us on board and brought us into um, owning a business with him. Okay. Kind of where it all started. Yeah, so that's that's the cliff notes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we we started there, and uh, we've been growing ever since. Always, we've always had the business mindset. Again, every entrepreneur, their biggest number one thing is, I can't work for somebody. I don't want the nine to five. I want to be able to write my own schedule and make my own money. And you know, we're we're no different. Yeah. What is it? The true entrepreneur is willing to trade their nine to five for a 24 seven. Exactly. 100%. And I think that's still undercutting it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So with, with that in mind, you had somebody who invited you into the business. Why, Why did you decide that would be a good idea for you? Why, why did you do that? Well, again, I think it goes back to, we wanted to continue to grow our personal empire. We have big dreams in mind that we want to be able to conquer and so we decided to get on with this guy and he gave us the opportunity and uh, we took off running with it as well. We helped him grow his Amazon business substantially. So he had the trust and faith in us to continue to grow, uh, bringing us on as partners. Um, and again, we just got the opportunity and we didn't want to work the nine to five. We didn't want to have somebody else writing our schedule and we wanted to be the owners of our own destiny. We wanted to be in control of what tomorrow brings us. Yeah, and you still work with this other partner to to this day. Correct. For a few of our businesses, yeah, we work with this other partner as well. And how long ago was the first business? So we had our first body shop that we started uh, July 1 of 2020. So we're going coming up on three years with that business. FedEx, I started with him, I would want to say seven years ago or so, mm-hmm. about seven, eight years ago. Did that for two years, went on to Amazon, did that for a few more years. And then slowly transition to the body shops. And when I met you guys, you were you were doing the Amazons and you were in how many states? We were in five, five? states, seven different stations, 750 employees. Yeah. So you were doing that. You were also doing the shipping containers at that point? Mm-hmm. We are buy, sell, renting, fabricating. Yep. Storage containers, shipping yeah. containers, Connex boxes. So and then right at that same time is when we bought our first uh, body shop. And then shortly after that, I think six months or so after that, we bought our second body shop. Two weeks after that, we bought our third body shop. And less than a month after that, I believe we start we bought a uh, a package deal of mechanic shops out in Tucson. So we bought three of them out there. Okay. And then slowly started to grow from there. That's not slow growth. Yeah, I was gonna say that was fast. <laughs> well, the the next two locations were slow compared to the first start. Yeah. So what's interesting to me about the two of you now, I I know you personally, and so Mm -hmm. I've got a little bit of an insight into how you operate both as a business and mostly because I've done business personally with your business, Mm -hmm. right? So I've engaged your employees and you guys have jumped in if you needed to or whatever, but you know, your people, you have a culture, they know what they're doing, all that fun stuff. But the two of you in particular, you continue to stay in business and start new businesses together. And that's interesting to me because one of the things that I think about all the time with my business is what is the process going to be like for me to find and bring on a partner? 
I think the two of you had an advantage because you started there. You already had the friendship in place. You had trust and all of that. And so it just was kind of like a natural progression. So you like each other at least a little bit. We pretend to like every now and again, it goes back and forth. It's like love hate and then hates more and then a little bit of love. Yeah. Well, like I said, I know you both personally. (laughs) So yeah, that's something I think about is, uh, is, is how does, how's that going to work? Because I started the firm a year ago. And so I've had to put a lot of time and energy and attention into the brand and what it looks like and what it feels like and what clients experience and how that goes out and how it's marketed and what I want the culture of the firm to be. Tell me a little bit about kind of how you think about your friendship versus being business partners, because I would imagine at some point you've got to like put on certain hats and take off certain hats to be able to make the business work and make the friendship work so they don't necessarily cross each other the wrong ways. Does that make sense the way I asked it? Yeah, it does. And and so to kind of answer your question is in the beginning, we didn't have a separation between the two. It actually added a lot of conflict. And there were some times where we just walked away from each other because it was going to either turn into, you know, saying something that's really pushing each other's buttons, which we've done plenty of times turning Mm -hmm. into, you know, maybe I'll punch you in the face if you don't shut up. Like it's been in those situations. So in the very beginning, it was a very big learning curve for us to figure out, okay, we know so much about each other. We've known you for a lot, a lot of years. So I know what buttons to push. If you piss me off, I will piss you off and vice versa. Yeah. Um, So for us, I, it definitely took a lot of time and practice and separating the two. Um, and even to this day, I, I think there's still a small bridge that kind of goes back and forth. But for the most part, it was really just learning to separate the two, uh, having our business and our friendship separate. They're always going to inter- intermingle. They're always going to collide a little bit. But in the yeah. very beginning, it was very uh, straining on both of us. I mean, I did a lot that really pissed him off that he probably didn't talk to me for a week or so. Uh, I mean, we still had to interact. We still had to work. But it was a lot of trials and tribulations to understand that, all right, look, you're my best friend. You've been around forever. I'm not going to sacrifice work to lose that relationship. So how do we make this work? How do we separate the two and then still can interact each other outside of work and within work? So it really was just practicing how to be friends and how to be business partners. Yeah, no, he was spot on. Uh, I think we had a podcast early on about it as well of that separation. And one thing that uh, Jake Morrow brought up during that podcast was, you know, our friendship means more than any business we've ever started. Anything else we've got going on, the friendship's going to be there at the end of the day. Well, and for all intents and purposes, I mean, you guys are practically family. Your families are family. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. I call his mom and dad, my mom and dad, same with him. Right. Uh, all his brothers and sisters are my brothers and sisters and uh, vice versa. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're still brothers. We're still best friends. No matter what happens, obviously going through business, we're going to have dislikings of each other and everything. But at the end of the day, we all have the same goal. We want to be here. We want to make money. We want to accomplish all of our goals together, make the dreams happen. So um, we just can't put that out of reach. We got to conquer that together. And again, friendship is over everything. So one of the things that I think um, stops some people from either having somebody that they're willing to go in part a partnership with and start a business because sometimes you have a person and so you're like, okay, this is going to be much easier than going it alone, right? Because now I've got somebody else that's going through the same everything that I'm going through. But in the in that process, one of the things I think that stops people is the fear that they won't be able to make it or that they won't be able to have the type of service or product that the market will latch on to where people will want to buy or engage in. So 
Talk to me about what you guys kind of how you worked through that. Cause I, I know it had to, there had to be a little bit of fear with starting the delivery services and all that. Now you struck it at the right time because that was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And mm-hmm. so that's, everybody was reliant upon delivery service, especially Amazon and FedEx and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But when you started now going into the auto body shops and even the, um, the mechanic shops, you're not the only game in town. So there's a ton of competition so talk to me about the fear of actually making it. So at least for me, the one of the biggest things, and even now today is still a big fear. Like we just started Cigar Soapbox. It's, yep. it's another industry that since COVID, a lot more people are involved in. You see a lot more companies. Some of them are bigger. Some of them are smaller. It, the, the biggest fear for me is no matter what, like whether it's capital, whether it's real estate, whether it's, you know, signing a 10 year lease for a building, whether it's worrying about insurance and and all that stuff that goes into owning a business, the number one fear that has been and always will be is making an initial commitment or the first step into the business. If you can get over that initial step and just say, yes, I will trust this person to go into business with. Yes, I will trust this person to point me in the right direction financially. Yes, I will trust this financial advisor I want to bring into my life. It's that fear of the first commitment or first step into the process of just doing it. Once you move past that initial fear, at least for me, all of that stuff, you can make work. You can make fall into place. All those fears that seem like it's something that's going to overwhelm you or weigh you down. If you can just get past the fear of making a commitment into starting a business, Mm -hmm. all that stuff becomes easy. All of that is easier to maintain and rely on and actually move in a certain direction in. But that fear of, should I start? is what weighs, at least weighs me down the most uh, until we move past it. And then after that, everything seems to be easy. Yeah. See, I didn't, I didn't have the fear of, of starting. Cause I just was like, you know, I'll figure this out. Like I, I've got a general path. I think for me where, where I kind of hit the ooh moment was about maybe three or four months in when all the excitement of the newness of the firm and, you know, all the clients moved over and all the documents were signed. And so now it was just getting back to normal And in some respects, getting back to normal meant, okay, now it's time to start growing again. And so I think that like, that was the first thing is like, okay, the business will work with what I have, but it won't be sustainable. Right. Because it's one thing, like I have to keep serving clients. What is is that? A motorcycle? I'm going to beat the shit out of it. That's a rumbly. So just so everybody knows we're shooting this podcast in the back of a warehouse, back of a warehouse. And unfortunately this is a a body shop warehouse. So we do have a couple uh, background noises going on. So I've already yelled at them once. I've only strangled one person, but a second one might be uh, in line. And before you probably hear the door squeak opening and him going out there saying, Hey, do you guys mind shutting up? We're doing something. We literally have a sign that, says on air i like that sign that's <laughs> yeah. a really cool sign except for when we turn it on and people make more noise than well, what they were doing before yeah, we just have to sound actually. it out they don't know how to read oh yeah my God. <laughs> I, should, I should put one of those in my office too but uh yeah. i, I kind of want to answer because i came in on the butt end of that question but you were talking about fear yeah um, of starting a business and obviously with some of our business you know jake and i our homes our vehicles our assets are our lives our lives are a guarantee on that lease on that contract. So failing isn't really an option. Yeah. You know, you have to succeed uh, no matter what gets in your way. So the fear of literally losing your life, you know, you can jump down into a rabbit hole and figure out what else is going to be lost on top of your assets. The fear is losing everything. And so there is 
there's no other option but to succeed in business. Do you think it's um do you think it's kind of innate in the person who is going to be successful because statistically our both all of our businesses are at risk of failure, high risk of failure within the first couple mm-hmm. of years, right? So um I mean the the numbers are 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 staggering with how many businesses get started and then fail. So is it innate in the person who launches a business that says there is no option. I burned the boats when I started the business. I will not fail come hell or high water. Do you think that is the type of person, as long as they back up that statement, are those the kinds of people who will succeed? I think those are the people that succeed after five years. There's a lot of people. I mean, you know, people, I know people who try to start something, they go a year or two and then they close it down and then they just go back right back to what they were doing. So one, they either didn't have enough skin in the game or two, they didn't actually have that mentality or that drive to push past a hard time. They either just said, Oh, you know what? This is getting kind of hard. Hey, I haven't got a paycheck in a week or two. You know, I, I want to go out and do stuff. Go back to a nine to five, go back to a corporate job. The yeah. people that can make it the two, three, four, five years of struggle, which we all know is a grind. Yep. The ones that make it past that, those are the people with that mindset of understanding of I burned it all. This is it. I'm not going backwards. I'm going across a pond and I'm going to start a new life over there. Those are the guys I think that have that mindset of where they will not fail and cannot fail. But think about all the guys who talk about starting something and never actually do. Mm-hmm. And then let alone the few people that do start something. And then within two years, they're right back to where they started without really losing anything because they never truly jumped in the deep end, I guess, so to speak, or really invested in what they were trying to push for, in my opinion. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that, join the team for the jersey right so they want the fame they want the title they want people to look at them a lot of people like yeah i'm an entrepreneur i own my own business and think money just follows that as soon as you get the title you're making great money here we are we're going to buy ferraris we're going to buy mansions that just doesn't happen it's not real life yep and i think too many people jump into the entrepreneur lifestyle of hey now i own my own business now i'm a millionaire and it just doesn't happen no, no. And, 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 you know, it's, it's really funny because, um, I know for me, there's been times in the past, you know, cause I, I essentially own my own firm for the past three years before I started life moves, but I was, I was under someone else's umbrella. So I had to go out on my own, um, to hold up my own umbrella. And it's so funny because when I was under someone else's umbrella, there were times where I'm like, well, if I, if I own this, I would do this. And if I own this, I would do this. Well, now I own it. And sometimes I don't, <laughs> I don't do those things. Right. Or, and, and a lot of it's because like, oh, there's, there's a time element, there's a financial element into making these decisions and actually, you know, going, going through with that. And, uh, and I think it's what you said. I think that there are enough people who jump out and say, the money's just going to follow um, and it's going to be easy because what they're used to is just somebody gives me a paycheck. Everything's already been taken care of. The taxes have been paid. Everything's been withheld. Right. But I think they're used to just getting money, but then they don't actually have to, like you said, put enough skin in the game to go. Yeah. I might be earning enough money or it might even be a six figure revenue, but when you actually back out all the things I have to do, it's yep. not, it's yep. not a six figure income. It's a six figure revenue, but maybe not that. And that's part of the growth. And then I think some people get lost in that because they're like, well, you know, why am I, why am I earning that much money? But I don't get to keep that much money. Well, Mm -hmm. it's much easier to just work for somebody else and get a salary. Yep. Well, on top of that, having to write a check for that employee 
and then knowing that you're going to take a pay cut that week and not collect a check so that employee gets paid for. Yeah. You know, that's heart-wrenching as well. Of, Or when somebody comes up, hey, I need a raise. I'm doing really good. And it's like, all right, well, yes, you're doing really good. Company's not making money, but, you know, here we are. So let's continue to grow you. But, yeah, writing that other person a check and then knowing you're not collecting a check that week because you need to make payroll. That's the toughest part. Yeah. Here's my experience with that. I wonder if it's the same for you guys. So before I was an advisor, I um, was GM of a business, uh, specialty construction. So we did um, basement waterproofing, deep earth foundation repair, like all that fun stuff like that. We would have the same thing. It's like, want to pay you guys well, you're doing great work. But they would say, well, we just brought home a check for $50,000. What do you mean you can't afford to give us a raise? Right. And then I would be like, well, let me, let me show you where all of this goes. Because by the way, that $50,000, we spent that six months ago. Exactly. So you're having to wrap your head around the fact that it's like, listen, I own the business. I'm not taking home a paycheck so I can make sure that you take home a paycheck to feed your family. And so there's already the frustration of I'm, I own the business, but I can't pay mm-hmm. myself. And then you don't own the business. You work for me and you want more and I'm already not paying myself. Right. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about kind of that frustration of you know being an employer of other people so at least for me i I won't speak for jake on that but for me the 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 hardest thing is you you get employees that don't actually understand and not to say they're dumb by any means or or whatever the case may be but they don't understand the actual business model they've not had no exposure to it it. exactly so they all they see is okay we closed a repair order for 1500 bucks Oh, that's great. Well, I'm only getting paid $600 a week. We just closed eight of those. Why is he not paying me more money? Yet they don't understand that not just, you know, utilities, uh, but you have a payroll service. You have all of your insurance. You have to cover all of your rent. If you missed last week's rent, you have to make it up from this week's. I mean, you know, and and on top of that, you're you're not just paying, you're not just collecting $1,500 on that, right? You have all of your your time, your energy, whatever services, your POS systems you have, um, any of your supplies, all of that is deducted. But there's a very, very small percentage. I won't say none of them. There's a small percentage of employees that understand that, which are the ones that usually rise and continue to grow within a business. And then the ones that are at the very bottom that struggle, it's hard for them to move up in the world. It's hard for them to show up on time every single day. Those are the ones that don't understand that business doesn't actually manage itself. It takes people to manage it. Managing those people take people to manage that. And all of that costs money. So yeah, you did one good thing this day. That's making up for a lack of weeks before. So if I, I think maybe in basic school, high school, they should have a small business class to explain maybe a business model. Here's if you ever want to start your own business, here's a, how you build a business plan. Something so simplistic that they could show people to understand this is how the world may work. This is you working in the world yeah. kind of aspect. That's where I get frustrated is they just assume rather than want to learn and understand the business model. No, I'm right there with Jake. There's a lot of misunderstanding. Again, we had the same issue today. Uh, We got a big check come in, and uh, I had one of my guys come up to me and, hey, we're good, we're good, we can start these projects. I'm like, that check's gone. I I know it got deposited this morning, but it's been spent. So let's collect another one next week, and that one will be spent, and then you know maybe we can start catching up. But uh, unfortunately, in business, you're not always playing catch-up, but you've just got a lot of things going on and there's other things that take priority before yourself. Um, so you got to make sure that the business is still operating. And again, for our mindset to keep on moving forward is we're not worried about 
making it today. We want to make sure we're successful with this in 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Today is nothing, right? So we're going to accomplish today. We're going to get through today. It's where we're going to be with this business, what we're doing today to make us successful in 15, 20 years. Yeah. You said something interesting earlier that I think I, I kind of have a question for you. So with us, obviously we've had a few struggles with the businesses that we've had. A lot of them have started a lot slower than what we've wanted, you know, and like I said, my biggest fear earlier was making that initial jump into it. If your business in that first four months, what if it went the opposite direction for you? What if it was so slow, you didn't have to worry about expanding, but worried about becoming back to neutral almost. What would your biggest fear be then? If you didn't have those customers transfer over with you? Yeah, I think it was going to be sustainability. I mean, that, that was, that was one of the risks that I had to really calculate as I was starting. Cause I, I made the decision to launch the firm fairly quickly. You guys were in, in those early mm-hmm. conversations. So you heard yeah. all about it and it was like, okay, I don't like the way this is going. Okay. This is nope. That's it. I'm doing my own thing. I'm done. Right. And, uh, and that all happened pretty quickly. Like, I think I made the decision over the course of a weekend and it yeah. was, be- I was on the phone <laughs> with, with a friend of mine, uh, in California, he's an advisor. And, uh, and he asked me, he's like, have you, you know, have you thought about going on on your own and, and, uh, becoming a fee only advisor and, and doing that? And I just said, no, I, I don't want to do that. And he goes, why not? And I was like, oh, yeah, why not? And so that was on a Thursday. And I think by Monday I was, I was in the, in the basket. So I, I think that was the biggest fear is if my clients don't come that for me, that was the litmus test of how, how good is my service really? Not like how good are my investment returns and that kind of thing? Because the, I mean, last year, the market, the the market was, it just sucked. So yeah, yeah, everyone knows it, where it was really hard to, to say, you know, Hey, my, my portfolios are great. Now I can go through like, Hey, I do evidence-based, you know, investment work and you know, we're not speculating and all that fun stuff. But it was, if I make this move and the firm that I left made a big push to keep my clients or if they sued me or if nobody came so did you even weigh these options? Because you, you made a decision in a very short notice, right? You, you, I feel like you took a couple of bads, a couple of goods, and then threw it. I mean, did you weigh all these options before you decided? Or did you decide and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, crap, this could happen and this could happen and this could happen? No, I w- so I weighed all of those decisions before I decided to launch. And I actually kind of went through and um, and I... I I made a, a list of, of the, the relationships that I, I thought were solid. And of course, I was confident that I've done a good job so far with the people that I work with and the people who have retained me as their advisor. And, and they're going to be listening to this. So, you know, we'll see. But uh, <laughs> leave a comment below. <laughs> leave Let a comment below. <laughs> but but I, felt, I felt secure enough in our relationships to make the leap. And then once I made the decision and then I notified the firm that I was with, I immediately started calling every one of my clients. And the, the response that I received was reassuring enough for me to, to kind of feel like that was the right path to continue walking down. But I also knew that it was probably going to be somewhere about, you know, maybe 45 to 60 days before I could actually even start the business and bring on, you know, start bringing on clients and get the documents signed. I had to go through uh, the process of writing the regulatory documents and then they had to be sent down to the state. And so it was just a thing where it was like, okay, 45 to 60 days is a long time. It is. It's a long time for people. And so it, and, and my clients are busy people. They're, they're living their lives, right? 
you know, it was a matter of, okay, how do I stay in front of the relationships? How do I make sure that when I call them and say, everything's good to go, let's, let's move forward. You know, now I can officially ask you if you can, you know, if you'd like to continue to, to keep me as your advisor and I mean, a lot can happen in 45 to 60 days. It's a lot of time. Just like you said, it's a lot of time. And so, um, so I think that was the biggest fear is if people don't come, that translates to dollar for dollar revenue. And then what does that mean? So I had to balance that off with, if it doesn't work out the way that I wanted it to, or the way that I hoped it would, here's kind of the bare minimum that I would need to have work out based on what I was already earning and, and what we needed between Melissa and I to keep our, our balance sheet healthy, which, you know, when, as you guys know, when you start a business, your balance sheet just isn't healthy. It just mm-hmm. isn't. I mean, stuff it's happens. Depressing. You have to put things at risk, <laughs> you know, and, and you can manage it well and you can manage your finance and you have to manage your finances well, both personal and for the business, because if you don't, the business, the business will fail. If you don't have an eye on how, how money's coming and going mostly in your personal life, because if that's not under control, you'll drain the business. Um, and if you drain the business, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have any life. So, um, yeah, I think that was the biggest fear. When you started this, did you have a backup plan or were you all in? Like, this all is in. the only path for me. I had no backup plan because like what you said, I, <laughs> frankly, I think I'm unemployable. Why? I have a very particular way that I want to do things and a very particular way I want to serve people. And I want the freedom, um, which I've already exercised in the 10 months that I've had the firm of going down a path with a piece of technology or an approach to, to advice and saying, nope, that's not it. Reverse, start over, make a U-turn. And I've already done that and it's worked out pretty well. And I've already changed a couple of pieces of technology and that kind of thing just to continue to make sure I'm serving well. So I want too much flexibility to do what I think is right. And it's very difficult for anybody. And, and it has been since I was a kid. I remember my, my first professional job, it was, uh, I was a mortgage loan officer and the branch manager, he picked up on that. I was 21 at the time. And uh, I had just a little bit more hair, a lot of bit more sass, right? <laughs> Sound like Jake Brown. Yeah. And he picked up on that and uh, he was like, look, you're the kind of person I just need to wind up and let go and understand that you're going to you're going to crash into some stuff but it'll probably all be okay. He got it. Nobody else has been able to to hire me and let me run the way that I want to run because I'm stubborn. I I think in that regard there there really is no other option. Um and there wasn't an option when I left the Midwest and and came to Phoenix with no no network, you know, no idea how I was going to start but I started. It was the same thing, burn the boats. Worst case scenario, I can always go work for somebody else, but I know that's going to end out leading to the same result, which is the dissatisfaction of building someone else's business. So why is it dissatisfying to build somebody else's business? For me? Yeah, for you. Because I I think this is a unique perspective, not just for you, but for us, right? It gives us an ulterior motive on, you know, maybe how we can approach our employees and how we address certain things. Because we know what it's like to build businesses for other people. I mean, I worked for bigger corporations back in the day. So, you know, I was just a name on on a piece of paper. It wasn't necessarily me doing all this hard work for, you know, somebody on the board. It was me doing all this hard work for somebody who ran that building, who was the director of this region. That's who I worked for to try to help him build so he could then elevate and move on. But then after that happened, you're kind of stuck, right? So why was it dissatisfying for you to help somebody else? Yeah, so I'll I'll tell you, I think one of the most valuable things, no, let me say it this way. One of the most valuable groups of people on the planet 
are those who can help other people build businesses. Mm -hmm. Those are incredibly valuable people and they should be paid well because they, they provide a service that, that other people like me just can't for a long period of time. For me, I think the process of, of recognizing that I'm building somebody else's business, um, I think where I meet the conflict in that is, it's like I said earlier, I've, I've got that strong, you know, fiercely independent streak and there's certain ways that I want to do things, but I also don't know how to spectate. So if I'm, if I'm going to, and this has been my, my MO with any, any place where I've been employed is if I come in and I take a position, I'm going to all out on that position with the intent of replacing myself so I can take the next thing up and build this like it, like it were my business. But you always reach a point, and my frustration with it is there's always a point where someone says, really value what you do, but you're only worth this. So I, I think I see that, and I, you know, I would look at that, and I would go, well, why, why am I responsible for the business, but I don't own it? As the GM in, in that particular business, there were certainly weeks where I would forego a paycheck to make sure that somebody who was out in the field got a paycheck because the other alternative was I was out in the field. Yeah. And if I'm out in the field, then I can't have the eyes on the business and make sure that the next projects are getting sold and the revenue is moving and that kind of thing. So well, let, me, let me ask you this then. So now that you are 10 months in on your own firm, yeah. does it give you a different perspective if you had to go work for somebody else? would you still have that same mindset or would you still, would it change because now you know what it's like to manage your own? I, I don't think it, no, I don't, I don't really think it's changed anything because the, the only thing that's different is that it's literally my name on the legal paperwork. That's the only thing that's changed. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, Be- I, I just say this cause there's a local um, ski shop in Arizona called ski pro and I, I worked for them before I went to um, the East coast when I moved out to Virginia and you know, the owner, Jack, he is a phenomenal guy. I had a lot of respect for what he did. A lot of the guys that he has in place, you know, his main guy, Sean, Maddie, um, you know, I respected those guys because of the hard work that they put in. But you're right. I, I always had this, you know, mentality of, wow, he's making a ton of money and yet I'm getting paid what seemed like pennies at the time. And then, you know, fast forward, going through Virginia, coming back, working here, starting our own business, being part of this partnership. I go and help on like long weekends or when they do their road shows and stuff. And now I have a totally different perspective as to what Jack, he he still holds all my respect. He still works his butt off for everything that he has. But now when I see him pulling money and going to purchase something it's literally like you know what you put in the time you put in the effort you you made sure that all of your guys were taken care of in the sense of what you could take care of them so everything that you pull out of this business is yours you deserve every second because he took that leap to start that business absolutely to where before it was like wow okay i'm a manager of this you know i'm at the warehouse i do all the road stuff and yet i'm getting paid next to nothing when you have a house and you know park city and you do all this other stuff but now it's holy crap, you've worked your butt off. I will do just as much, if not more, of what I used to do just to help you continue to make a and run a successful business. It just, yeah. my perspective of it. No, and I think, I, I think for me, I think the perspective I have on it is not necessarily like, well, hey, you know, I, how come you get to do this and you get to do this, but I'm here, you know, basically grinding in your business. It wasn't necessarily that, like, envy of the situation. I think it was more like, Hey, I'm running this thing. Like it is my business. 
let's at least recognize that there's skin in the game. Right. So let me, let me buy in. Let me, let me have a piece of what I'm building. And I think that was the difference for me is that it's always been, I want a piece of what I'm building. I want a piece of what I'm building. And I always ran into resistance with that. Just maybe it's just the way my luck, I don't know, whatever. No, people are greedy. They don't want to give up anything that they have. They're not going to take money out of your pocket to hand to you, right? There's a difference between charity, but for somebody to say, you know what? I built this. Let's cut you in on something. Yeah, absolutely. People are greedy. It will greedy. And also there, I mean, I understand that there's, um, you know, there, there's, uh, protection for family members and, you know, things like that. Mm. What I have now is all the skin that I would ever want is on the table mm-hmm. in the game. Cause it's all yours. Cause it's all mine. <laughs> and, and so that, that is, that's absolutely scary. And I think that's scary for a lot of people. And I think that's why people pause when they say, well, I'm going to start my own business. It looks easy. Or I, I've got a great idea or I can do this better. And they pause. Um, and I think it's because of the amount of skin that it takes. And I think it is also the recognition of saying, kind of to your point, like, okay, I can see what the other person has put into it. So now I understand why they make the decisions the way they make them. I understand why they do what they do. I understand why they're pulling money out now because for the first 10 years, they probably didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. So I totally get that. But I, I think there's a difference between looking at that and going, man, they're really selfish and, and greedy versus saying, love what you'd built. I'm here to help you continue to make that sustainable. One day, maybe we can even enter into some sort of agreement where we buy you out. But along that process, let's share the responsibility. Um, I've always wanted to be, if you're looking at the P&L side, there's always the cost side and there's the, the revenue side. I've always wanted to be on the revenue side and have a piece of, of the action. For the two of you guys, what would it take for you to to have an employee where you'd be willing to have them share in that? It would take a lot. I know personally when we're, I'm going through a hiring process, um, doing an interview with somebody, I make sure, one, what is your goal within the next five years? You know, if you're hiring to be a prepper right now, do you have goals to be a body man? Do you have goals to be a painter? Because if you do, you need to let me know now. And if you don't, then why aren't you investing in yourself to grow in this industry? You know, I, I want to look at somebody that's willing to invest in themselves before we are willing to invest in them. Um, so that's a big thing. I want to see people with goals, mindset, similar, not the same as mine, but similar. You know, I want to I want to own my own business. I want to make X amount of money. This is where I want to be at in five to 10 years. This is how I'm going to get there and not expect it to come to you. So I believe it would take a lot to hand that over. But as I said to everyone in the interview, you know, every job you have is a stepping stone for the next one. You know, I don't care if you're a janitor. I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos. Like, every job is going to be a stepping stone to get to the next level. So I don't know what exactly it would take for me to say, hey, here's a piece of that pie. Um, I believe on in our industry, we do pay our guys extremely well in order for them to do what they do. And they get rewarded extremely well. But uh we have put in so much work and time and energy and risk into the business where, you know, it does become a little bit of greed, but you know, this is, this is our lives. This is everything we have. Everything we've ever done is wrapped up into the past two years, three years. Do you feel like it's, it's greed or is it protecting something that you've poured your life into? Because all it takes is one person to, to make one mistake or to go rogue and it can completely threaten 
everything that you have? I think it is very protective and territorial. Again, the risk factor is first two years. And, you know, for the first two years, there wasn't a dollar to be seen. You know, there's a lot of money going out and not a single dollar coming in. So for to bring somebody in when, hey, we're doing well, the money's coming in, we can pull money out, we can enjoy things, we can enjoy the finer things in life. It would be hard to bring someone in after the risk factor is gone because there's not much, there's still skin in the game, mm-hmm. but not as much, mm-hmm. you know, all the risk of, Hey, we can't make payroll this week and I got to sell my vehicles or I got to do this or that, or I'm not collecting another check or whatever it may be. All that risk is gone once the money in the company's flowing. Yeah. And, and I think the, uh, Jake Morrow, to, you, to your point, to your question of, is your, you know, would my perspective be different now if I were going back to work for somebody. I think one of the things about that is, you know, bringing somebody else in, there is a point where when things get hard in the business and you're, you're talking about going on the road of you have to sell assets to keep the business afloat, or you have to, you know, make personal, possibly detrimental financial choices for a period of time to make the business stay afloat. That person, even at the highest level can simply just go get another job Mm -hmm. if things in the business aren't flowing. Right. Yeah. To where we can't necessarily just walk away. It's not like, oh, I'll, I'll be fine tomorrow. I'll have a new job or I'll go apply it down the street or I'll go move on. It's you're, you're stuck. Not, not necessarily stuck, but you have a commitment here. You can't just easily walk away from it. And, you know, there's something that uh, our good friend, all of our good friends, Bradley Reith tends to say is uh, time, trust, and truth. Mm-hmm. Right. And whether that is within an employee, whether that's in a business partner, whether that's in, you know, trying to figure out if you're going to last or not. I mean, those are three things that I feel like if you don't have any of those with somebody, then it's never going to work. It's never, that would be somebody that we would have to have all three to be able to say, you know what, we're struggling now. If you can build up our profit margins by 20% in the next year and a half, I'll cut you in at 7%, right? To even evaluate or, or to even to look at something like that, you would have to have at minimum those three things before you could even do that. Nowadays with my mindset, I would have much rather gone back when I was, you know, 24, 25 working at Ski Pro and saying, look, I'm going to make this a life, uh, lifelong business with you, but I want a piece of the pie. I will not just say, hey, give me 10% and I'm going to keep working my normal stuff. I'd, I'd lay down expectations of what I'm going to do, how I'm going to better his business. And with all that extra revenue, that's where I prove my worth. And then after that, those three things happen, I want a piece of the pie. That's how people should take, you know, if they want a slice of that, they want to be involved in it. They want a portion of a business. They want to, you know, really help somebody that they've had a long lasting relationship with. That's how you... I would at least approach it. And that's how I would want somebody to approach it against us. Hey, I'm going to help you guys make $2 million this year. You're going to pull in 25% of that. This is how I'm going to do it. After I've done this, this is the percentage I want. That's somebody that I would look at and go, you know what? Okay, let's talk. Get all those three things done. Then we'll see what we can do. Yeah. And I, I think what's interesting about that is, is um, it's really easy to want the piece of the pie on the good side, but sometimes what's in the pie is really sour. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's hard, hard for some people to, and I, not only for the person who's saying, Hey, I want a piece of this, but also for the business owner to go, okay, but how do I actually share in the true results? Because it doesn't always turn out to be a sweet pie. Right. So there, there's times there has to be an assessment of how do I share the revenue and the gains with this person, but how do I also share the risk or the loss or the loss? Yep. With how that do I person? share the piece that's already missing? Yeah. Look at you, mind blown philosopher. <laughs> Philosophizer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I, I guess um, as we head into conclusion, because you have so many businesses open and we just talked about, you know, could you go back? Could you do these other things? What if one of those businesses uh, just simply doesn't work? How would you go about evaluating when it's time to to cover it up, pull the plug and call it a loss? Because sometimes even for serial entrepreneurs, they have a project that just doesn't work. So Jake Brown said something probably a year or so ago now when we uh, closed down our um, the storage business, Freedom Storage. He said, and I always remember when we had this meeting, fail fast. If you're going to fail, do it quickly, learn from it, and build from it, mm-hmm. right? But fail quickly. Don't drag it out for a year. Don't drag it out for two years. Don't drag it out for five years. The next thing you know, you're in so much debt. You're never going to get out of it. Fail fast. But understand that if you are going to fail, you need to take something good away from it and build that into the next success. But fail fast. Sorry, I took your quote. Yeah. Yeah, what he said. Yeah, I like that line. It's always, I mean, it was, and it was something that we were with storage containers when COVID hit, it was very hard to access these containers, right? Yeah. Um, just to purchase. So before when we were actually doing really well, I could purchase a container on net 30. We'd have the container delivered within probably a week, week and a half, have that container sold within another week. So we're already, there's no money out of our pocket. We've already sold this container at a really good margin before our bills even do. Yeah. COVID hit, it really impacted us. The cost of containers went up almost 350% just for us to purchase them. We would purchase them. We wouldn't see a container for over a month and a half. So we already have money coming out of our pocket at a much higher rate. Yeah, you're past your terms. Yep. Yeah. Haven't physically received the product yet. And then to sell it, obviously with that big of a markup, we had to mark up our prices to make sure that we could in turn buy a couple of more with that sell. Um, that would take almost another two months. So from what turned to we didn't have any money coming out of our pocket within those first 30 days to we didn't see any return within, you know, 60 to 90 days. The capital that we were shelling out was just, it was disgusting almost. And that's where that quote kind of came in play because we needed to make a decision quickly. Do we continue to, to build this? Do we continue to invest and try to ride it out and see where COVID takes us? Or do we call it now? Do we figure out how we can, you know, adjust from this loss and how we can build whatever next business is and, you know, get away from this mentality of don't drag it out. Let's take what's good, continue in that path and get, get, get rid of what was bad essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I think the deeper you get into a failing business, the longer it's going to take to escape. Yep. So that's, you know, why it came about of fail fast, get out of it, learn, move on, grow from it and uh, succeed in the, the next one, next adventure. So if somebody came to the two of you and, uh, you know, they were saying, hey, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of, you know, working for somebody else. I'm tired of all the things. I'm going to start my own business. Here's what I'm going to do. What would be your first response to that person? And then what would be your first piece of direction? I would first off wish them the best of luck on their journey. Obviously, everyone's going to need it. But secondly, to go out and find the work and don't expect it to come to you. You got to sit there and grind day in and day out. It's not just going to show up on your doorstep. You have to go find that work, bring it in, and you have to make your own money. The money's just not going to arrive. Mm-hmm. So, Jake Ma? I, I probably asked them just initially is what kind of, what are you originally going to dedicate to this project? Just kind of see what their reaction. And then my initial like direction I would give them, you know, if they're asking me for help or if they're asking me for anything, the direction would be build a business plan for five years. 
Don't come into this thinking that you're going to make money in the first year. Don't come into it thinking you're going to be successful in three years. Lay out what you think is going to happen within the next five years. Not just where you start, but how you continue to build and how you continue to grow. Why are you guys laughing? I'm, I'm laughing because what we're going through in business right now is I'm very operations. I'm operations to a T. I love to find a failing business and operate it. Jake is very much the the money side of things. Where can I make the most profit? Where can I cut costs here? He, he's complete money and we're completely opposite. That's why my answer was just go out and make the damn business work. Mm-hmm. Just figure out how you're going to make money and bring it in. Figure out how to save money later on. And Jake says, no, you got to make money from the start. So I think it's funny because we just had this conversation the other day, you know, with the automotive or the body shops, the first two years, I'm sitting there focusing on operations. You know, I'm sitting there. How are we going to make a lot of money? How are we going to make this thing excel? How are we going to be the number one shop? Never once was I looking at money going out compared to money coming in. I wasn't worried. I wasn't. I wanted to have a successful shop of it, you know, operating vehicles moving through down the road. I want to figure out money. And we're to the point where we're figuring out money. I'm calling Jake. I'm like, dude, I need some help. Where You need to help me with these numbers. You need to help me crunch all these numbers and figure out where to cut costs and where to do this and that. So it was just funny here in the operation standpoint to the, <laughs> to the, the money side of things, which is nice. I guess that's why you have both of us, right? We, we got both sides. I mean, he had a, had a lot easier problem, right? He has a lot of money coming in and then worrying about money coming out with the mining key side. We had next to no money coming in. So all the money coming out, we need to make sure was accurate right? How can I, sounds bad, but like, how, how can I pinch a penny here? How can I reduce spending here? How can I make sure that this money will last us longer than what it should last, right? So I think between the two of us, we really got two different aspects of, you know, how we build businesses. So together, I think that's why we get along so well, not just because, you know, we know the ins and outs of everyone or of each other, but because we understand that, you know, we've both built two separate things into one. So I, I think that's just, you know, it is funny, I guess that's how we, <laughs> I didn't even realize that's what we were talking about. Does that color your approach with things like picking vendors, hiring new employees, promoting managers, like all of that? So vendors, speed and communication. If you can't have um, both, you better have at least one, right? Mm-hmm. So any, and I'll tell that to any vendor that comes in, I don't mind spending an extra dollar in some places, but if you can't give, you can't communicate that the delivery is either going to happen or not, or if you can't get it here quickly, or if you can't do both of those things, then I won't even talk to you anymore, right? If you can get it here within five minutes, the communication doesn't matter because the part's here before I'm looking for it. If you don't have the speed, you better have communication because if I have to go looking for you, if I have to go calling you and figuring out where my part is, I'm already done with you. Now, if you have both, I, I will pay an extra two, three, four dollars per unit just to make sure I have both of those things. Yeah, but everybody's going to say that they have that to get the business. So how how long do you give them when you're evaluating? Two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Mm-hmm. At that time, you whether it's you have staffing issues, which everyone has, so that excuse is null and void to me anymore. Yep. There's always different, uh, you know, alternative ways to work around it. So if you you don't have any solutions for alternative routes. It means you don't actually care about the business or you don't care about earning my business or maintaining my business. So I'm going to find somebody that does, but then vice versa, right? If I promise all these things to a vendor and then I don't show up, I would not expect them to move the world for me to provide a better service. That's just me personally. All I only know is because we're doing a lot of uh, price matching and figuring out what new vendors we're going to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Speed communication is obviously huge for me, especially on the operations side when I'm just trying to get vehicles moving. Um, at that point, if you're showing up and your part is a little bit more expensive than the last guy, then 
you're there first, you win the job. So speed is huge. Getting it there. Faster the park gets there, the faster the vehicle gets out, the faster we get paid. Okay. Final question. Uh, Jake Brown. Oh, crap. I'm nervous. Biggest thing you want to see the business accomplish in 2023? Oh, man. I know Jake's already sitting here thinking because he's going to have a super elaborate answer. I think after (laughs) three years in the business, um, definitely seeing the black, being able to be able to kind of, you know, make the shops a little bit better, being to upgrade some of our equipment, being to actually have some parties and reward some of our employees that have been there from the starter been working their butts off. Uh, that's the biggest goal, being able to build a bigger family atmosphere. Uh, for me, that's one of my biggest things is always trying to treat all these guys like my family. Yeah. Um, the first thing I do every single morning is I walk into this, into a shop. I go and shake everyone's hands or give them a fist bump, say their name, ask how they're doing to every single person. doesn't matter what position they hold. Uh, so the family atmosphere is very big for me. Uh, but being able to bring everyone together, having the company make money, having to th- be able to reward each and every person and still being able to excel within business. Okay. Jake Morrow, biggest thing you want to see the business accomplish in 2023? So in our podcast, I always try to make sure these answers are like something that I actually believe in and I feel is true. But the first thing that came that I wanted well, to say. Well, I would say, hope you would do that on the Financial Purpose Podcast too. Well, and, and that's like, that's why this is weird because the first thing that wanted to pop out of my mouth was the biggest thing that I wanted to see in 2023 with this business is them doing it without me. Ha, 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 funny, funny. And then Jake hit me with like this realness and I'm like, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't make a joke about this. So I, I guess my legitimate answer, taking a second to think about it, would be prove my self-worth. Uh, self-worth in the sense of what I'm doing, what I'm struggling with, what I'm pushing for, the drive, the growth and knowledge, the growth in the business, the growth within myself has been worth it. And what I'm actually doing means something. Um, It's very hard to show up time and time and time again when you struggle. It's very hard when you don't collect a paycheck. It's very hard when, you know, you see everyone else smiling, laughing, buying new cars, and you're still struggling to, you know, pay your mortgage at the end of each month. Mm -hmm. But to prove that my worth is actually meaningful and something that we built, that's honestly, I'd be happy seeing that in 2023. All right. Final words, takeaways. Um, Honestly, we need to have you on our podcast more because every time we sit down and talk to you, it just opens up the perspective that we have with, or at least that I have with business knowledge and financing. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could continue to talk about, um, but but there's things that, you know, you don't really get to see within the day-to-day stuff until somebody gives you a different perspective on, you know, so I, I could look at the same view out of a window every single day. And until you come in and sit down next to us, my perspective changes. But until that happens, it it's always going to be the same image. So I think the biggest takeaway is just making sure that we interact more, especially when it comes to business. Yeah. No, that's huge. I want to thank you for having us on, on your podcast. And again, like Jake said, we want to, we want to continue to talk to you. Our our biggest thing for our podcast is talking to other entrepreneurs and seeing, you know, the successes that they have put into their business and they have gotten out of their business. Um, So, and being able to see one, your company grow from the start and uh, you know, seeing you grow as a person, as a family man, all that as well as it's been fun. I'm lucky to have you as a friend. Jake's lucky to have you as a friend. So we appreciate you having us on. Oh, that's incredibly mutual. And thank you for, uh, 
for being game for this conversation. So there's a lot of different ways we could have taken this one, but I, I really, I think the conversation we had is, is probably the right one to have because it's just, I think the big takeaway for me is, is of course, um, there's nothing easy uh, about the number one, the, the decision to start a business and the number two, actually putting the feet to the fire. Um, and you guys are doing it repeatedly. <laughs> no one said we were smart. And you're doing yeah, it well. <laughs> we're so, just stubborn. We're not smart. So I, I think it's fun for me to watch all the things that you guys do because there's a part of me that's like, well, I've, I've got my one and you guys have, you know, you've got a lot of different things cooking and it's like, man, that's, that's a lot of fun, but I know what you're going, I know what you're going through. I will trade you things. seats right now. I sir. bet you shake my hand. We'll call it a gentleman's <laughs> agreement. I'm out. You're in. I bet. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I'm going to look for your growth in 2023. Here's to the new year. Here's to the new year. All right. Well, that's it for the Financial Purpose Podcast. Until next time, take care.